Let's go into uh, our message today. We're going to be talking still in our series about winning in spiritual warfare, but I, I want to just review for a little while where we have been. We've done three messages so far. Today will be our fourth message on it. Uh, we've talked about understanding the battlefield and the reality that there are spiritual forces of wickedness not only in heavenly places but all around us and all involved in your life and my life and if you are serious about the Lord that those forces are coming to knock you off your game. So we talked about that, that, that worldview that we have to have as believers and then we talked about what's behind the war, what's really going on, and the reality that God started uh, a plan that he wanted to rule and reign throughout creation, not just by himself, but through a family. Amen? If you are a Christian, you're part of that family that God wants to rule and reign through. And there's also these supernatural beings that the Bible talks about many times as Elohim, small g gods that are as well, that God wants to rule through this natural and supernatural family. And then we looked last week at attacking the heart of the enemy. And we saw that in Jesus' strategy, even when Peter makes this great confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He does it on ground zero of the enemy territory. And when Jesus is transfigured, likely it was on Mount Hermon, which was the place for all of these other gods. And it's Jesus declaring, you think it belongs to you, but it all belongs to me. Amen? That's what missions is about. Not only foreign missions, but your mission as a believer in Christ, it is reclaiming. And I talked about the fact that when Jesus says to Peter, the gates of, this is the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that this is the church on attack, not the church in defense mode. Amen? The church is not saying, oh, devil, don't come here, devil, don't come here. Look, the devil is here. The devil is here this morning. There are demonic forces here in this church this morning. But you ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. His strength and power are great. God is greater than anything that the enemy can do. And so we're in him. And so today we're coming back to uh, this sermon series and we're talking about knowing the enemy scheme. So I have three young people that are going to lead us in reading the word today. If that's you, come on up and let's get ready to read the word of God. Let's all stand on our feet as we get ready to receive the word. You can come right up here on the stage. Glory to God. And let's read the word together. So one at a time, 1 Corinthians 2 and 11. Who's got that? Who's got it? right here, sister? Let's get this mic so we can hear you good. Boom. Nice and loud. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Amen. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the dark presence 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. Amen. Today we're talking about knowing the enemy's schemes. Knowing the enemy's schemes. Let me pray. Father God, we pray that you would be with us as we look at your word today. Lead and guide us. And Lord, help us not to be ignorant of what the enemy wants to do, what he's trying to do. But Lord, make us aware, but not only aware of the enemy, but even more aware of the power of our God. Lord, we thank you for this time. Minister to your people and do your work. Right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I don't think I'm going to be before you too long this morning. I, I worked on this message and I realized it was two messages, not one. Now, many of you are saying, Pastor Larry, you always do that. You're always trying to put two messages into one. So I'm trying to learn from my mistakes, y'all. But um, winning in spiritual warfare, knowing the enemy's schemes, knowing the enemy's schemes, there is an old saying that ignorance is bliss. I understand that saying. Someone said, uh, one thing you never want to know is how they actually made the sausage that's on your plate. Ignorance is bliss. I don't know. I just know it tastes good. So ignorance is bliss. I get that. But in terms of spiritual reality and understanding the work of the enemy, ignorance is not bliss. It's not bliss at all. In fact, ignorance is a setup for destruction. Ignorance is a setup for destruction knowledge another saying says knowledge is power knowledge is power and there's a great deal of truth in that reality that when you understand what the enemy's about you have the counterattack ready to go amen you are able to fend off the work of the enemy because you know what he is up to but the reality is that very often if we'll be honest, we're not quite sure what the enemy is up to. And so uh, over the next couple weeks, I think, we'll be talking about that reality, uh, knowing the enemy's scheme. So let me just jump right in to a few of the scriptures that we heard uh, from our young people today. Thank you so much for reading the word of God to us this morning. Um, first of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians 2, and just that last part of verse 11, Paul says this, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about demonic forces. We're not unaware, he says, of his schemes. But here's the question of the day. Can you honestly say that in your life? That is the question. Can you honestly say that in your life, that you are not 
unaware of his schemes. In other words, can you honestly say, I know what the enemy is up to and what he's doing. Paul was able to say that I am not unaware of his schemes. I know what's going on here. That takes something we call spiritual discernment. Say spiritual discernment. One more time, spiritual discernment. It takes spiritual discernment. That is not just for pastors or elders or deacons. It is for people who call themselves Christians. Every believer needs to have spiritual discernment to understand what's going on in and around your life. Otherwise, you'll be caught up in thinking all these people and all these things are your enemy, and they are not. Too often in a marriage, we look at that other person and think, this must be my enemy because she is this or he is that, and we are having strife and difficulty. You've got to understand that your enemy is not flesh and blood. But there's principalities and powers at work that are indeed the enemy. So we're not unaware of his schemes. But I just want to look at this verse a, a, a little bit. Uh, a little bit more, he says, again, we're not unaware of his schemes. That word schemes there is the Greek word methodeia. It sounds like method, right? We're not unaware of his method. We're not unaware of his tactics. We're not unaware of his game plan. We know how he does his stuff. I love in the scripture where the Bible says that uh, Israel had a certain knowledge of the Lord. They understood his deeds, but Moses, the Bible says, knew his ways. Israel understood the, the deeds of God, but Moses knew his ways. How did Moses know his ways? Moses knew his ways because of intimate interaction with the Lord, and so he knew the ways of God. Listen, if you know truly the ways of the God, then of God, then you also understand the schemes, the tactics, the methods, the way, the game plan of the enemy. And God wants to show you that so that you're able to walk in life in victory in Jesus Christ. That is what the Lord would have us to do. Look at uh, a little bit more in this chapter if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps. And I'm just going to read from verse 10. Paul says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order, look what he says in verse 11, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we're not unaware of his schemes. In order that Satan might not outwit us. To outwit means to take advantage of. To outwit means to exploit. You look for the weak place. You look for the vulnerable place. And it means to exploit. In other words, that he won't exploit us. He won't defraud us. He won't cheat us. Listen, brothers and sisters, one thing that, that I, I see in these verses, if you read the context here, we're not going to read it anymore, but here's the reality that many of us have been outwitted by 
the enemy. We're being defrauded of what God has for us. We have succumbed to his tactics because we are holding on to grudges and unforgiveness in our lives. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had a dream. This is not the Martin Luther King speech right now. I had a dream. And in this dream, there was a person that I know well, but I'm not in relationship with now, that there's been estrangement in the relationship. And in my dream, you know how dreams are. They're just so weird. I can't even explain what happened. I talked to my wife that morning. I couldn't explain it then, so I know I can't explain it now. It was just weird stuff happening, but somehow what I understood in my dream is it was almost like this person had control over me. Almost as if I was a puppet and they could make me go and do what they wanted me to do and go where they wanted me to go. And as I thought about that dream, I realized it wasn't even about that person, it was about me. And it was about the struggle that I've had to forgive this person. And it's a real struggle. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the struggle of forgiveness. Depending on what has happened to you, depending on what you've been through, forgiveness can be a difficult and hard thing to accomplish, but I want to plead with you today not to leave that business undone because when we hold on to unforgiveness, what we're allowing to happen is the enemy to outwit us, to defraud us, and to take away that which God has for us. Because when you forgive a brother or sister, what you're doing is by grace you are saying, God, you have forgiven me more than they've ever done to me. You have forgiven me of all of my sins, past, present, and future. And whatever they've done, oh God, that is under the blood as well. I have no right to hold my brother or sister to a standard that you haven't held me to. I need to release them and to forgive them into the hands, into your hands, God. Listen, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. In every relationship that is broken, I long for reconciliation. I long for it. But I recognize and realize I can't make reconciliation happen myself. It takes two parties to be willing to reconcile around truth. But it does not take two parties to forgive. It just takes you and the Holy Ghost to help you to forgive. Amen? So let's look at this. Lacking awareness of the tactics of your spiritual enemies will lead to a life of frustration, powerlessness, ineffectiveness, and ultimately working against the blessing of God in your life and the lives of those around you. Brothers and sisters, we need to be aware of the enemy's tactics and schemes. This is our first principle on warfare. Unforgiveness leads to your own bondage. We think that we're holding someone captive by our unforgiveness. The only one being held captive is you. The, only, 
And God showed me that so clearly in that dream that I was captive and I was manipulated and I was able to be moved here and there because of a spirit of unforgiveness. We just prayed the Lord's prayer that he taught us to pray. And in that prayer, he says, forgive us our debts. And then just goes on to the next piece. No, he doesn't. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts or who have trespassed against us. God, help us to be those who forgive. Being aware of the enemy's schemes. Secondly, let's look at Ephesians 6, 11, and 12 for a moment. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against his methods and tactics. For our struggle, says Paul, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, put on the full armor of God. If we're going to know the devil's schemes, we need to wear the right clothing. Amen? Listen, the full armor of God is not a fashion statement. The full armor of God is not so that you can look fly when you're out in the marketplace. The full armor of God is the protective covering for every believer, and the scripture says, put on the full armor of God. That's something that we need to put on over and over and over again so that, in order that, to enable you to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Without this armor on, and we're not going to go through the armor today, but without that, we cannot stand against his schemes. And he says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world. He says there is a struggle here. There's a great struggle. Listen, if you're not struggling, if you're not fighting, if you are going with the flow, you've already lost the battle. That's our second principle here. If you're not fighting, you're losing. Too often, believers think of spiritual warfare, and I know I've said this before, but some things you just got to say over and over again. We think of spiritual warfare as a certain anomaly, a season in your life for a little while where the heat is turned up. But spiritual warfare is the normal life of a believer committed to Jesus Christ. Think about it. If you're committed to Christ, you're committed to plundering the gates of hell, you're committed to going after lost people, you're committed to a life of holiness and living before God in a way that honors him and being a person in a community that honors and lifts up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the enemy's work is to bring down the name of Christ there's a marker on you to bring you down. Not just for missionaries, not just for pastors, but for believers. And so we need to be those who are fighting every day. Listen, a couple weeks ago we heard from Pastor Delitzo Numeri from Malawi, and he told us about fasting and praying. How many people fasted on Friday? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, right? 
let your fast be, be between you and God. But I know a lot of people around here fasted on Friday, and many of us got together to pray, uh, some from 8 until midnight on Friday evening. And fasting and prayer is one of the ways that we struggle and we fight against this work of the enemy. I want you to look at this next, uh, next page here. Spiritual warfare is struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The word there for struggle is a Greek word, pale. And it originally means to wrestle. In the ESV, if you have uh, this scripture, it says, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's a good translation. The idea in, in wrestling, if you've ever wrestled, it is just hand-to-hand, not just hand-to-hand combat. combat. Like boxing is hand-to-hand, -hand, I guess, but wrestling is your whole body. Wrestling is a total commitment of every muscle, of every cell in your body to overcome the one that you're wrestling against. And he says that we're wrestling in this spiritual war. And this wrestle is not against flesh and blood. Listen, brothers and sisters, your prayer life is your wrestling. Your fasting is your wrestling. Your fighting to get in the word of God is your wrestling to, 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 to read the word of God, to study the word of God, to be around believers on a Sunday morning and at other times in your life, to fellowship with believers. That is your wrestle. And don't think it's strange that when you open your Bible, all of the sudden the spirit of slumber is upon you. You could be reading anything else. You could be watching anything on TV. You could be doing just about anything else, but you open this Bible and all of the sudden the spirit of slumber is upon you. It's a wrestle to pray. It's a wrestle to fast. Fasting, if you fast long enough, from food, as our brother DeLitzo helpfully said. Fasting is not eating food. Glory to God. That's so deep. I love it. But when you, when you fast from food for a while, it hurts. You might start to get a headache. I know I started to get a bit of a headache after a while. But this is our wrestle in order to say, flesh, you don't control me. Devil, you don't have the last word. I am going to honor God with my body. I am going to honor God with my mind. I am determined to struggle, to fight, and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wrestle for us. Now I want to look at, I guess this is the last scripture we'll get to today. This was my introduction to the sermon, by the way. So I'm just going to get through the introduction. I'm not even going to get to the first point, and there were seven. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. You know better than me, Lord. So 2 Corinthians, 7, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, 
my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Amen. Paul says that my power is made perfect, and, and the Lord says to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul writes this, and we're not going to read all the context of it, but he is defending himself as an apostle to some folks at this great church in Corinth that were despising him as an apostle. There were other apostles that came along. He refers to them at one point as super apostles. They were the guys who could just speak more eloquently than Paul. They were probably the guys who wore the shiniest sh sh uh, suits with the really nice shoes and drove up in Benzes. Amen? I, I don't know if they had Mercedes-Benz chariots back in the day. I don't think so. But, I mean, they were the fly apostles. That's what Paul is saying. And yet, Paul is here who was with, with them in sickness. Paul is here who was with them in trembling. Paul is among them as an apostle who has the word of God for them, and yet many despise him. But he is, in this scripture, defending his apostleship, and he talks about the surpassing great revelations that God has given him. He talks about being caught up in heaven, the third heaven. And, and God had spoken to Paul, Paul ends up writing about one-third of the New Testament. He is a, a, the great missionary. All missionaries look to Paul to say, how did he do it? Let me kind of do what, what Paul did. Paul was a great man, greatly used of God, and he had these great surpassing revelations, but he says, but hold on a second, to keep me from becoming conceited. God bless me with something. No. He said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. And then he calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me. He says three times, I pleaded, Lord, take it away from me. He said, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I want you to just see this real quick. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest on me. Brothers and sisters, this is what I want you to see, this last principle. Your weakness is a gift from God. Your weaknesses are a gift from Almighty God to you. This is a quiet place right now. Because it sure enough doesn't feel like it most of the time. It just feels like, Lord, if you would strengthen me in this one area, this one thing I struggle with and struggle with and struggle with, if you would just let me not have to struggle with that anymore, then I would serve you, Lord God. No, you wouldn't. If God took away all the struggle, if God took away from you 
right now, your weaknesses, you would be a proud brother or sister. You would be an arrogant person. You would be a person who knows that you've got what it takes and you don't need to rely on the Lord in your life. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were on vacation by the grace of God and I was swimming in the ocean and I was talking with a dude who told me he was an atheist. He didn't know who I was and he had just been cursing up a storm and, and for some reason he said, I'm an atheist and this and that and the other. He said, what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm a pastor. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a beautiful conversation that ensued after that, after he shared that with me. But, but what I realized, and he, he began to tell me some of his life story, and it was rough. And one of the things he said is, I understand, as I began to talk the gospel to him, he said, I get it. I think that that's really good for some people that need that sort of thing in their life. But he said, but I reason. But I understand things. I get it. Listen, brothers and sisters, if someone mocks you for your faith and for leaning on Christ as a crutch, you just need to say glory to God. He is not my crutch. He is both of my legs. With him, I cannot stand. Without him, I can do nothing. That's what Jesus says in John 15. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's only in Christ and by the power of Christ. Listen, I've got more than a few weaknesses in my life, but some that bring me to my knees over and over again. I'll share a, a, a simple one, and then I'll, I'll talk about a profound one as I close. I'm not very mechanically inclined. I'm just not the best, the best guy with stuff. But I try sometimes. My wife is urging me, come on, you can do it, honey. You can do it. I remember early in our marriage, I'm going to talk about another dream I had. I had this dream, and it, I don't remember the dream at all, but my wife says that I was saying over and over in my sleep, I was saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. My wife was answering back to me in my dream and was saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can. You can do it. You can do it. I say, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. But that's me with mechanical things. So years ago, we had a washing machine that was broken, and I said, mm, screwdriver, I can take the back off this thing. Look at that. The back is off. The screws are out. That's about the end of my mechanical ability. But I took it off, and there's wires here. Okay, there's wires. I need to do something with wires. Okay, this wire and this wire. What happens if this wire touches this wire? Boom! washing machine blew up in my face that was the end of my washing machine ministry I have a weakness in that area have you been around someone that is an expert in everything they just know it all now, I hate to say it but a lot of times those people have something before their name it's called pastor but anyway it's not good to be with someone that's an expert in everything because they're not they're faking it but more importantly, I have other weaknesses in my life, weaknesses that humble me to my very knees, and every day I have to go before God and say, God, keep me. God, if you don't keep me, I won't be kept. 
God, help me. God, glorify your name through me. And as we start to look next week, we'll look at seven schemes of the enemy. But as we look at those schemes, we, we do that from this place, this place of humble acknowledgement of our absolute 100% need for God to show up in my life today. Enemy wins the battle the moment you say, I've got this. But when you say, my God is with me, I am his child, I am his son, or I am his daughter, and I know that he is able to win the battle through me, in me, and through me today to his glory we can have victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Next week, we'll talk about seven schemes of the enemy, but this is an introduction to it. Listen, brothers and sisters, my prayer is that we will be increasingly a people who can honestly say, I know the enemy's scheme. When you're in the midst of a relational issue, when you're in the midst of a financial issue, when you're in the midst of a physical issue, whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is, be aware. The enemy wants to use that thing to bring you down, but God wants to use that thing to build you up in him. Amen? Let me pray. And we're going to have prayer. You can, you can start playing now, but we're going to have prayer after service. So if you want prayer today, maybe someone desires prayer even because you know there's an area in your life, perhaps a person in your life, that you're really struggling with forgiveness. It could be something else as well. If that's you, you can come up for prayer uh, during the song or after service. But let's do business with God. Let's not allow the enemy to outwit us. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that the enemy can deceive, he can slander, he can do all sorts of things, but all power is in your hands. <laughs> Lord, I pray that we would be increasingly a people that, is a, that are aware of every scheme of the enemy, not just in the big picture of this world, but in our individual lives, in the day-to-day, nitty-gritty stuff. Lord, areas where we're struggling, that we would know that although the enemy wants to use it to bring us down, God wants to use it to make us dependent and give us victory. So have your way, O oh God. In all these things I pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said...